RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Gameprint.net. We thank them and our patrons for their support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 402 of Priority One, our Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded on Tuesday, February 26th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, March 1st, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got going on this week? Well, we are finally wrapping up our 400th celebrations with the last but not least of our interviews from Cryptic Studios. Anthony, Elijah, and I are taking a much-needed break from our regular content this week, so grab a rock to Gino, sit back, and enjoy. This week, it's Star Trek Online's environment artists, then the QA team, and finally the producers. We'll be back next week with our normal show, picking up with the news from the Star Trek multiverse in Trek It Out, and with our review of Star Trek Discovery's Season 2, Episode 7, titled Light and Shadows, in our on-screen segment. We'll also check hailing frequencies because we want to hear all of your feedback from our 400 celebrations and interviews. That's right, Captains. Remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes. So please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We consider every listener of this show a friend of Priority One Podcast. But we do have to send a special thanks to our patrons, because without their ongoing support over the last 400 episodes, we would not be able to have kept the lights on and continue to produce the quality content you've come to expect from Priority One. Now, of course, a financial contribution may not be in the cards, but there are other ways that you can help support Priority One. For instance, don't forget to share our show with your friends. Let them know that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on Priority One. And of course, if you're wondering what you get for being a Priority One patron, at our most popular $10 level, you'll get access to an audio feed of the live recording of this show, plus a bonus After Hours episode where we tackle not just Star Trek, but other sci-fi franchises and general nonsense too. And if you like the interviews you've been getting on our main show the last couple weeks, you'll be pleased to know that you also get early access to the unedited version of those interviews, plus any other behind-the-scenes content we can scare up for you. Once again, that's patreon.com forward slash priority one for more information about how you can keep this show going and get great extra content as well. Before we get to our interviews this week, we also want to let you know about some upcoming events happening across the Roddenberry Podcast Network. 
Larry Nemechek from The Trek Files will be attending Big Apple Comic Con in New York City on March 9th and 10th. A little further ahead, Kenna will be appearing at WonderCon with Larry Nemechek and Ken Ray from Mission Log Saturday, March 30th in Anaheim, California. And of course, if you're in the LA area, join Larry and John Champion at the Impro Theater in Los Feliz every other Friday, where they get together with other Trek fans for a Discovery viewing party. Sometimes they even have special guests. For more information on those events, be sure to keep an eye on our social media channels, and we hope to see you there. Now, let's transport back once again to Cryptic Studios with another series of interviews featuring environment artists, the QA team, and the Star Trek Online producers. But before we get to that, we do need to take a moment to thank our sponsor this week. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. So, Anthony, you helped me with the production of that unboxing video that we did on my game print 3D printed Prometheus class. What did you think of those close-ups of those pictures I took? Well, it was actually a really tough choice, and I'm really glad that in the video you made some suggestions on how to sort of decide on what ship to get. So I wanted to get something that was relatively unique, definitely something that I fly in the game. And recently, I've been flying the NX Refit class in the game, and I've been having a lot of fun with that ship, so I decided that that was the one I was going to get. So actually, right before we recorded this, I went on and I ordered the 4-inch model of my NX uh, Refit. Nice. Congratulations. So there's no question that ships play a vital role in the Star Trek mythos. They take on a life of their own and they end up being just as important as any character from the series. And for those of you who play Star Trek Online, part of that immersive experience is being able to command some of the most iconic ships from the franchise. Or you can also command a completely new and unique design that you can customize yourself in the game. Now, imagine displaying your ship proudly for all to see. So not just in the virtual space of Star Trek Online, but in real physical space. That is where GamePrint comes in. GamePrint gives you the opportunity to 3D print your own ship straight from Star Trek Online. Now, some of you don't play Star Trek Online, and that's okay, because you can explore an immense library of ships that players have already uploaded to GamePrint.net. Best of all, you can rename that ship to whatever you want, with whatever registry you want. And with options starting at just $19.99 for a 4-inch color print, there's really no reason why you shouldn't add a unique starship to your collection, customized just for you. And when you use code PRIORITY20 at checkout, you'll save 20% on that order. So don't let deciding on which ship necessarily hold you back from 3D printing a new fleet of ships for you to display proudly in your office, home, or wherever you want to showcase your Star Trek memorabilia. Head over to GamePrint.net and start building your fleet. Remember, use coupon code PRIORITY20, that's PRIORITY20, at checkout. And now without further ado, let's head over to those interviews from Cryptic Studios. Captains, we are now sitting with the environment team here at Cryptic Studios. And without further ado, let's go ahead and have them introduce themselves. Oh, my name is Scott Boyd. I'm the lead environment artist. My name is Nick Gid. I'm also an environment artist. Uh, David Lopez, environment artist. Awesome. You know, I, I have to talk about ground, the ground mission, Pavo. I mean, 
that was a gorge. <laughs> you see, for, for those of you at home who cannot see what just happened, it was a, a very much a three stooges pointing at each other, one one going to the other one to the other one. So, um, don't all talk a, at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speak no evil. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the process of uh, designing that map and, and what made it different from previous maps. New and improved, right? <laughs> right. Um, it was one of these maps that uh, we decided to work together on in various different ways other than um, having one environment artist take it from point A to point B. Yeah, it was a lot of collaboration between the entire team, which was great because it was kind of a... We've always been where it's people have been working on their own separate missions and they've been kind of like, I'm on my episode one, you're on episode two, and we're on episode three, we're here, it was like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna be in charge of kind of wrangling up certain props and David's going to be the world builder and Nick's going to handle the hero props. So it was a lot of just everybody pulling their weight to get this thing looking the way it did and yeah, it turned out really good and I love the fact that everybody was super collaborative with, with, with not which is environment, but also with content as well. We always would call together meetings, all right, how does this feel? How does this, you know, is this going to work right? Are we, are we see, see complications with this particular thing? Um, yeah, it was a lot of uh, people working together to make it look as good as it did. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just uh, the environment team. It was also effects. It was working with design hand-in-hand and, hand and uh, inter- inviting everybody to those, uh, you know, play tests that happened more often uh, than the last time or with other episodes. Um, Nick uh, worked on the Spire, and uh, Scott helped with uh, other assets, support assets like the rocks and um, the trees and things like that. And um, I think Nick did a, did a really good job on the, the crystal tower. Um, they, they all pointed at me, and I pointed back at them because I really didn't see it as a uh, as a one-man effort. Uh, I was the point man on the job, but um, I wouldn't have been able to do it without you guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, that's... that's... This really kind of is one of those beautiful. Wow, well, this going to sound super cheesy. He's but, crying now. Uh, we we really came together as a team. I think you know we. I felt I felt together on this this particular map. No, it was really good to just see everybody work together and solve problems. And you know, I I'm so proud of how we worked together, how these guys worked together to make this map look the way it did. And so why why change the 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 method by which to design a new environment map. It sounds like this was a collaborative effort that hadn't necessarily been done before where, as you mentioned earlier, people kind of were you know, siloed in, in their mission map. Well, I think part of it, it comes from the charge from above, from the top. Uh, Bill, our new art director, came in and kind of, he's, you know, he comes from outside. You know, we've been, Cryptic has a certain way, the way they've done environments. And Bill came in and said, okay, we're gonna try this different way. Uh, and a lot of way how the other studios, I've worked at EA and worked at uh, uh, Activision, and usually you do that where you'll have like a world builder and then some people kind of working alongside providing assets for the world builder. And that's how other studios do their particular things. They just hadn't done that, a lot of that in uh, some of the maps that I've been doing here at Cryptic. And Bill really kind of pushed for that. And but I think, it, well, I, I just I think it was also bigger projects are always going to need more people, mm-hmm. and so any of our larger projects invariably end up being collaborations between multiple artists. I mean, ESD, New Romulus, right. uh, the Draenor Colony, like all those are you know big maps, heavy maps that have a lot of assets, and we absolutely have to have a bunch of people work on it rather than individual missions where. 
you're making one map and it's out of assets that we already have and so you know you can kind of do that on, on your own for the most part or you're repurposing something we used you know that we made already or something like that you know those kind of things we can do one by one and that's fine for missions but for, for any larger heavy map like this then right on board. I think there's also a, a, um, a cost on the team as well um, when we do missions on our own we there's a quality of life um, equation that happens where by the end of the one episode, we're you know we're dog tired and mentally and physically you know from um, pull, putting in the late hours in some cases. And this uh, this uh, new way of doing things kind of let us spread out the work. That way we could focus on giving um, the players the best content that we could produce instead of kind of uh, you know burning the candle at both ends. Right. With this particular mission map, Pavel, um, you know, we had seen it on screen with Star Trek Discovery. What, you know, we, you've, in the past, you've done a significant amount of research and development into um, not just, re, you know, it, it's, it's hard to say recreate, right? Because you, it's hard to do that for a game, right? That has to be interactive. You know, it's not the set. It's not real people walking along. Um, I mean, I know the sheer amount of work that you all did with Deep Space Nine what was that process like with Pavel now that you know it was first seen on screen? Did you have, did you get pictures of the set or CGI concepts from <laughs> from CBS? David went down a whole rabbit hole of like finding the actual filming location and oh my gosh, researching yeah. like oh, yeah. what plants live there and stuff. all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. We, had, we had grand schemes of, of getting the height maps from Google Maps and trying to make it just as you know you see in the show, but. It, it, the, the amount of content that we had uh, was kind of conflicting from what you saw on the show. It was like, uh, if you think about what of a collage of what you think Pavo actually is, it's about 40 different colors in three different locations. And, yeah, and, you know, it's hard to each do. shot is slightly different color right. or, or they choose to do different things. I mean, you know, the, the producers of the show have a, a vision for what it looks like, but then what the effects house actually does with it, it actually varies from shot to shot, this, right. you know. And we didn't get it, like, we didn't get the crazy amounts of, like, we didn't get the spire that they did in, in 3D. We didn't get that model. Uh, it was a lot of, Nick spent a crap load of time just going through the episodes and, like, screenshots, screenshots. So we had reference of, like, different angles of what the crystals look like. That's the same thing that I did with DS9 and, right, yeah. and the mm -hmm. TNG stuff before, like... Anytime we have to do something, recreate something that we see in the show, um, I, I always think that getting screenshots of everything is vital because then you can actually reference it without having to queue up the episode every time. Yeah. Right. Even the guy that's standing in the corner, the camera guy. Misses. That's right. <laughs> Total, totally not uh, from Pablo, but there's a, a couple of shots on Discovery where you get to see one of the backstage like hands on screen oh, in oops. the episode. Yeah. Why? Get out of here. Yeah. So um, there's a. In in the Stamets USS Stamets when he's uh, going through his crazy time mm -hmm. in the sorry spoilers uh, in the mycelial network when Stamets is in the network and he's running around on Discovery there's a point where he runs down into the engineering lab and there's literally a, like a dude in a white t-shirt standing over in the corner. Um, oh my god! Nice. Get out of here! I yeah. can't this wait is to what go. You get. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. When yeah. you're yeah. sitting there <laughs> staring over screens for yeah. hours, yeah. pushing you know print screen, print screen. Yeah. You find all these little inconsistencies. There's another yeah. one where the, where the Shenzo, uh, you know, gets attacked at, at the very beginning, and, and you know all the bridge consoles blow up and stuff. You can see like the propane tanks sitting behind some of the consoles that. Mm. Stuff yeah, like that. I mean, it's just you know. Yeah. 
they're like two second shots, so who cares? And it's not, right. you know, it's not a big deal. But it's always funny to find that kind of yeah. stuff. Oh, so. it's the Indiana Jones re- glass reflection in front of the yeah. snake kind of thing. You remember it's the old nitpickers guides, the TNG? Yeah. Like I remember, guides I remember those. And, like, yeah. Somebody who had found all that stuff and written it like yeah. in a book. I don't know if it was Nemechek or somebody, but I actually have really Nemechek. good memories of being a kid. There was a bookstore yeah. in Denver, Colorado, that had the TNG nitpickers guide, and I remember reading yeah. through it and reading about like how Troy, like after she'd taken the commander test, and then there's a couple scenes where she doesn't have the three pips, yeah. and it's like it like yeah. opened up my eyes <laughs> to a whole world of nerdiness. You should, oh my you should gosh. start a new book. Or, or, yeah. like a Twitter. You should at least start a Twitter handle like uh, discovery nitpicking. Yeah. Has it been more exciting than past development working on discovery assets like <laughs> like you know the crazy. interior of a ship, etc.? It's pretty nuts. Um, largely because all the previous shows we can go through all of the episodes. All of the episodes exist and we can go through all of them to find the thing that we want um, or to to reference that specific episode or whatever. With this, like we are, we can go through season one and reference that stuff, but we don't know what they're going to do in season two necessarily, or season three or something. So we have to, like, we kind of just have to bite the bullet at some point and say, well, we're going to go with this story and hope that we don't end up, you know, being counteracted by whatever. And we obviously we talk with CBS and all that, but um, you know, but they don't want to tell us everything that they're doing. The great thing about the discovery stuff is the you know the fidelity of their their sets are right. on a higher budget than what they were doing on any of the shows before. You when right. you're spending eight million dollars eight million dollars an episode is that Jeez. what they're I think that's what they're spending. So it's funny you look at it you're like wow look at it look at all the how how you know nice everything looks but if you like I'm sure if you turn the lights on and you do all the stuff you still see you know the paint chips and whatnot but the it's dent still, in the door right yeah yeah right, the or the, the camera crew yeah, guy right. showing up yeah. but it's still it does have a little bit extra look of uh, you know higher it's not Star stuff. Trek but I always remember uh, on Stargate SG One um, the TV show that they did they they did these amazing ornate. Um, you know, starship interiors. And then they were running around in them and, and, you know, doing firefights and whatever down these hallways. And they were using real guns with blank ammunition to fire. And, like, the sets looked gorgeous, but they were literally destroying them because the concussion of it was ripping apart the styrofoam that everything was made out of. And they had to constantly, like, remake the sets in order to make sure that they kept up with... So, like, not that... I mean, again, that's not Star Trek, but similarly, I'm sure that they're dealing with similar things, right? Where something that you think you know will hold up won't or something that you you know you just don't realize it's going to get the use that it gets mm-hmm. you know you, somebody didn't realize that that door was going to get kicked you know at some point or right. walked into or whatever and you know and it's fun having to, to uh well fun is not the right word but it's interesting the fact that we now have a little more of approval process to generate stuff where before it was like they were cbs would be like go ahead and we trust you to kind of be able to yeah. do what you want to do but now, because it's a live show, we have to make sure we consult with them before we go in certain directions of the stuff to make sure that, hey, we're not stepping on some future content that they're going to discover or they're going to go over at some point in a different season. Yeah, we have to get our, our stuff cleared a little bit more heavily than we maybe used to. Right. Um, and also, like, it's been... We, we've gotten a few loads of stuff before Season 2 came out that was, like, production assets and things like that. But 
you know, we didn't get somebody to come along with that to explain what any of it was. So, um, so like, uh, spoilers, if you've seen, um, not the last episode, the episode before of Discovery, uh, they go to the church. We had pictures of this church out in the middle of nowhere. And like, what? Yeah. What does that have to do with anything? You know? <laughs> they go to Earth? Yeah we, yeah, we, you know, we were just kind of guessing because we don't know. Right. We have pictures of it. We have some reference for it. We might, you know, have a model of something, but we don't necessarily know what it's all about yet. What, uh, what pictures do you have now that you don't know about? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get me get my computer and I'll talk right oh. about it. Load them up here, I'll show them to you. We know so many things. That's, yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not we surprised. actually, yeah, it was some of the stuff again. I'm not going to get into it. Yeah, but I'm yeah. like, wow, yeah. that's cool. We're right. looking at yeah. here. So, so you were telling me earlier about uh, you know Bill having like a bit uh, an outsider's perspective, not outsider from gaming, but outsider from Cryptic Studios, uh, his perspective on on development. What else has sort of changed it over the course of the last nine years in the way that you guys produce environment and. Coming off of that question, are you is the process of revamping previous maps and previous environments still something that is always work being worked on? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's definitely something that we are making we are making it a priority, priority one. Priority one. Wow, it's so it's definitely not priority one. Uh, but it might no, be but it is priority three or yeah. something. Yeah. I don't know. But but that's one of our our charges for the team is like we're going to go back and we're going to re- revisit some of that stuff because we want people that now that we have start you know discovery out there you're going to get some people coming in for the first time because right. maybe they watch the show and they go oh, I want to check this out and then you go and you look at stuff that's nine years old and looking it looks very different than the stuff that they're yeah. looking currently. Right. So we want to go back in and revisit some of that stuff. So some of the changes that I think that we've, over the nine years, and that Bill is really pushing, because of hardware, you know, computers get better and we can push a lot more stuff, just the polygon count is getting excessively crazy with you. You know, hey, before we would do a cylinder that was maybe like 12 poly, very uh, 12 polygons, which is kind of low poly. And now we're going to do like 32 polygons. I know I'm talking like, polygons so people are more like, what is, what's more a polygon? polygon? I mean, they're like, what do you mean by polygon? I, I don't even want to get into that conversation. But the the, the, the fidelity on the, uh, the assets is a lot more now because the computers are so beefy now that they can kind of push that kind of stuff. So that's something we're doing. And and David, you mentioned that you uh, are new to the team, relatively? Uh, relatively, for a few years, yeah. I mean, I was a fan of the games uh, since before... Uh, their first game, um, City of Heroes, and um, I've always played the games and had an idea of what the games were about, even if uh, the IP wasn't interesting, I would still check it out, um, but um, I, I can only talk about how I would like to change things, or how I've tried to change things with, with how I design uh, environments and, uh, and try to make gameplay in the forefront whenever I'm designing these things, um, but uh, I always try to make them more interactive or more uh, challenging than what they were before. I know there's not a big uh, fan base for just going down somewhere and shooting a bunch of stuff and then coming back up. Um, so that's always in the forefront. I'm, I'm on Reddit constantly checking out my work and other you know comments about things. So it's always something I'm trying to help change and push in certain directions, having bigger, bigger and better gameplay and uh, you know more beautiful environments. Yeah, David has always been the one to kind of, hey, he's, oh, we're always talking gameplay mechanics and how things... How is this fun? What is it? And it's not just you know point to point linear things going here and clicking. It's like, what can I do to change this here? How can we make this this thing? You're gonna go go someplace and then you're gonna come back and it's gonna be different. So like he's doing a lot of kind of thoughtful map layout stuff. That, that brings up a, um, a, an interesting topic. So you know, it's it, <clears throat> I presume you have to work with 
content development, the content mm -hmm. development team, and to how the mission flows. What what is that process? Do they they give you a sort of outline of the mission? I know, for instance, Hector Ortiz does uh, concept art for ships. Does he also do for environment? Is mm -hmm. that so? He'll work so, with you on it. It's, it's, it's mostly ships. Yeah, we, it's because we only have one con concept artist. Like right. it's rare that we can. His plate is almost always full, so it's right. rare that we can uh, get some time for environment art. Because usually the characters and ships need it more. Um, working with the content designers is great. They're right on the other side of the wall from us, and we we shout back and forth, and we you know work together. Generally, we're paired up, so like one artist and one designer permission, and then some things like Pablo will have a couple of designers and a couple yeah. artists. Um, and it's very collaborative. You know, we we uh, pitch our episodes together, so we'll work together to come up with the pitch for whatever it is that we're doing. There'll be you know environment bits and design bits in that, and then um, you know if that gets approved, then we do it. If it doesn't, then we, we kick it back and try it again. Um, yeah, it's a lot of back and forth with like the the, the content <laughs> team is is you know they're the, the main pushers of things, but um, the, the like you said, it's a collaborative uh, collaborative thing where. You know, Nick will kind of push for, he wants to see one particular thing, and then a designer wants to do something else, and then maybe how can we kind of meet in the middle? Because you're both working on it together. You don't want to be like, no, my side's going to get this and side, and we're going to get that Different side. people have different ideas of right. how something works, so we talk about it and try to look at things, and then we argue over who has the layer checked out, because everybody <laughs> always has the layer checked out that you need to work right. on the thing. Yeah. Um, it's often Scott, mm -hmm. but um, but also it could be designer. Yeah. Um, and yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's that process process has gotten more transparent um, in the last you know year I guess right um, so we're really pushing for that yeah you know. with that not just not just uh, working with another designer but also pinging it off um, the team um, the environment team and other designers and sitting down somewhere and saying you know is this fun does this work right I am very much a fan of getting out of my seat and going and talking to somebody about something to can to see if it even works Scott is never in his I'm seat. never in my seat because I'm always getting soda but uh, <laughs> not drinking it, or yeah. in a meeting, or or in a meeting. Else. But it's a lot of just getting up and talking to people, and, and I, I just feel like that's the best way to really collaborate is to share ideas and ask questions. Well, and it's also just I mean, forget even collaboration, but just actually getting something done because mm -hmm. like half the time, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, and so I need to go check with somebody and see what what would be most useful for me to be doing right now for. Or design for the mission, right? Half it, the time, you don't know. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean that's why I know. really need to look at your schedule. Now, so. <laughs> I just mean like the, you know, even beyond like actual collaboration, where we're trying to, to work together to get something done, just keeping in constant contact and constant understanding of what the other person is doing, so that we aren't stepping on each other's toes and we're not we're all we're all pointing towards the same goal. Yeah. You know, if if I just sat at my desk all day and waited for somebody to come talk to me and no and then somebody else on the design side was doing that too, you know, we all both just kinda of go in different directions and then nothing makes sense. Right. So um, yeah, we just have to constantly yell at each other. It's like family. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we talked a little bit about revamping some of the older maps. Um, on Reddit, we had several questions like these. Um, Tyne Skipper, for instance, writes in, you know, we had the ESD revamp, Drazana, um, over on Romulan, Mulrian. Uh, is there any intent on, on redoing the Klingon first city map? 
so that it doesn't, you know, take I ten like, minutes. I would, I would love to. There's nothing on the schedule, but I think that yeah. would be absolutely great. I right. would love to do that. Yeah, there's a lot. Of... Like, how do you balance that? How do you balance? So obviously, you we need new content, right? right. Players yeah. need to play new content, new content, new content. But there's also the we want new players. And they're going to be experiencing the old nine-year-old content. So how, you know, is it like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, new content, Tuesday, Thursday, old content? Yeah. It's more, it generally tends to break up by season. So one season we're focused on uh, retaining players. And so we're working on doing a couple new missions and fixing up something else. And then the next player thing we're working, the next uh, season we'll work on getting new players in. So we're working on like, all new low-level stuff so that whoever comes in new will then level up, whatever. The other thing, Um, too, which we can do is you can, hey, we're going to go revisit this particular map, but we're going to, because we have an environment armist, let's spend that time fixing up that old kit for this new mission, but when you're fixing up that old kit, it's going to update the older mission. So um, you're looking at me like, I don't understand. So, okay, so... I was it, like, it I, doesn't I come up often. Cross-eyed, I was often like, we're making something brand new, right? right? We're right. taking we're taking an old kit or or older assets and we're reconfiguring it into something new. Sometimes we take an old entire map and we say, okay, we're going to go back to the Azura or something, and we literally take the Azura map and we're saying you're back on a, on the Azura. But since we're spending time there and we don't have to do the layout of the map, we can spend the time that we would normally do all of that on fixing up the assets that are in there. And then that will not only fix up the new mission, but will fix up the old mission as well. Does that make more sense? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, I, if I'll add something yeah. to that is that um, we, uh, there obviously is a time issue with that, right? Is that um, if we either want new content or you want us to update something. So uh, be patient with us as we push yeah. forward. Um, we are, we, we do read your comments. Um, I just want you that to be clear. Um, and we do care, okay? Okay. Okay. We care. We care. The three voices you hear are literally the entire environment team. So yeah. right. we are making all of the things that you are going into. So yeah. yeah, we can only do so much at one moment. We we read out well, I read most of your stuff and, and the negative ones and most of the positive ones. I I do um, take that feedback in and uh, I will try to um, you know bring it up whenever it's it's valid to bring it up. But um, just know that we're not kind of forgetting the people that have issues with things. Right, we're working on it. Fair, right? Okay. okay. Everybody's looking at me now. I feel yeah. like you need a hug. Yeah. Okay, maybe. Well, I, 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 I like. I like I'm doing my best, man. I'm doing my best. All right. So you know, you're getting player feedback. What is it that you're hearing? Right. What is it that? Um, just more or less. Um, when are they going to update this? Uh, some of it has to do with gameplay, which isn't always necessarily in our hands. Um, but we try to pass on that kind of information as well. Um, it's just. Uh, same content or people not being happy with the content we just released is some of the feedback that I get. Um, and I mean, it's it's we are trying new things, right? And we don't we don't. I know that everybody's not a fan of discovery, right? Um, but we're trying new things, and uh, you know, working with what we what we think is going to respond to the most players. Well, I think like you're talking about revamping older stuff. I mean, what Nick did a big what he did. We've talked about it before with DS9. Yeah, you know, that was a huge huge deal and I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of the fans just went they poop over that stuff 
<laughs> yes, I just said eat poop. You guys, okay, hold on. You guys are going to think that he's doing that because he's on a podcast and he's trying not to swear on the podcast. No, this is yeah. this is daily life with Scott. Scott does not swear. He says eat poop uh, instead of but, the other thing. But really, he swears more than anybody. He swears else. more than anybody. But in my in, clean version. In clean clean oh, in yeah. clean yeah. version. Yeah. Got it, got so, it. Yeah. But, I mean, we are making strides to, to improve, you know, again, old DS9 compared to new DS9 was, you know, it's a huge step right. forward for us. And I, I just remember we even came up with a plan where it's like, we don't have to do that. We can put the old one in there because we're just running out of time. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I'm gonna, and I'm going to commit my time and I'm going to, you know, building that out. And I could just, just seeing the, the videos of people getting in there and dancing and stuff was just they love that thing, and I just yeah. know how much they appreciate that. So that's that is our intent the whole time is to just take older stuff and revamp it if we can. It's just a matter of finding that time to be able to do that kind of stuff. Is the content that you're working on now discovery heavy, or is it something that you know? Is it a mixed bag of things? So yeah, discovery is a big deal right now. Yeah, right. Right. it is a, a, the first time we've been able to work with a live show, right. and that's going to be the new you know, a cool thing to be doing for a bit. Awesome. Are you excited to create interiors for ships in Discovery that we may not have yet seen? Yes. Yes. Well, we we just saw. The, <laughs> That's the a true question. You know what? I didn't even. I wasn't even thinking. I wasn't even like. Mm, how can I get this guy? How can I? I wasn't even. <laughs> I was like, Nick, don't answer that. He's like, Well, He's yeah. I can't wait for that 28th century Tellarite uh, interior. That well, they no. I mean, it's it's mostly you know. We're, I'm sure we're not going to see every ship that we see on screen. We may not see the interior on for Discovery, right? So, does that give you the flexibility to? say, well, the interior of the ship looks this way. What you see on screen is what we're, the direction we're trying to, to take things. You know, the, the idea of we can have some flexibility and maybe create some of our own very Star Trek Online discovery versions. Well, we but, no, but, like, but we like we invented more of the Shenzhou interior that, right. because we didn't see it, right? right. We, didn't, we don't know what their engineering looks <laughs> like, but we had the engineering lab from Discovery, right. and so we can kind of extrapolate or say that it's similar and we right. did that, right? Um, and if so, you want to go ahead, no, that's fine. It just you know, we, we will in, we will extrapolate things and invent things where we need to. Right. Um, but if we can get reference, we absolutely will. Right. And then, for uh, instance, you we have the engineering changes that may need to take place at some point. May need at some point. Yeah, two. that was the interesting thing. We we had guys from CBS show us. Hey, we've changed engineering. We now have this door here where this thing beyond there, and that wasn't before. It's like, oh wow! And they even had like the color, the gold was different this time around than season one. So there's these little tiny minute. I mean, think about season one TNG and how All different right. that looks than season two or three TNG, right? right? Like right. they're the same sets, but things are going to change a little bit right. as they kind of settle in. But the nice thing, too, is that we, we you're seeing new interiors all the time. We saw a brand new ship at the end of this last episode of Discovery, and that might, I don't, I mean, that's something where, hey, we got, we can use that. I don't know where we are with things with that, but that's something that, right. you know. Although that, well, there's also a lot of, they do a lot of reuse the same way that we do a lot of reuse. Right, and, right. And right, so right. we're, we're constantly trying to spot that so that we can then make sure that we're matching up, and also because it saves us from having to make right. an entirely new thing. Yeah. Um, and so the... I mean, this is potential spoiler alert right. as well. So we for may people want to, that, I don't know if we want to cut this out or not. For Discovery? For di Well, for, dis for Season 2 Discovery. Yeah, no, that's fine. The, the Section 31 bridge that we see, it's literally the, the Shenzhou bridge with the floor removed right. and then a second layer built underneath it. Ah. 
but the upper ring is the Chenzhou Bridge. It's the same ship, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Just, and we saw that, that entire sh- that entire set is elevated, right? It yeah. is, and they did that so they had the green screen on the first right. uh, the first few episodes, which we were looking at those screenshots and like, why did they bother? Because there was like there was so much work. We have some behind the scenes stuff showing like how they built it. And it's like, that was so much work to build it up. And we were trying to figure out, like, what was the purpose? Because you can barely see the little green screen stuff that they right. had. Yeah. And now the purpose is very clear. <clears throat> they were going to then repurpose that into a new a new secondary bridge, just the, the Section 31 bridge. I mean, there's things that uh, I think we have more freedom with uh, with future content. And that's when they don't go, when Discovery doesn't go to a ground map, then we may have an a opportunity to go or make a ground map instead. So but most of that stuff we will, we will make up uh, around a narrative, you know, to try and force that in a, into an episode. Well, is there something that we have not spoken about that you were dying to talk about on the show that you didn't get that we didn't get a chance to cover? This is that part where I open up the mics to you all. Get to sing? <laughs> I mean, sing. I was just going to ask you not to sing, but, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, go ahead, go ahead and sing. No, 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 no. Sing what song? I mean, it depends. Will, it, depends. Will it depends on what sing, the song sing is. Sing the original series. Oh, theme. it's it's oh, Friday yeah. today, isn't it? Oh god, it's Friday. <laughs> What's your Friday song? Go ahead. I, it's Friday. Go ahead. It's Friday, Friday. No, you guys are all like, okay. Wow, no, come on. It's, no, no, no. It's going to now be the we, theme song of our podcast. Please, please. We stopped. Can you license that? that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Rebecca Black, she might not be too cool with that. We usually so. stop him pretty early when he gets started, so I don't know if he actually knows the rest of the song. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah. We've proved this at karaoke. We let him get up at karaoke to sing it, and he lets us literally as far as he got. I, uh, so Sam, our old art director, moved away. He moved to Pittsburgh, and I went and sang karaoke, and the old Joe, I, I sang that song. And I realizing as I'm singing, I have no idea how the verse goes. And it was like seven a.m. and it was it was terrible. But people, I think nobody even bothered to turn around. Like it was in a big food court, and they were all like eating their food. And I'm sitting there singing to Sam, my heart out. You know, I'm giving him all I got. And everyone's just like they're just eating their food in there. When you say food court, I'm wondering was this karaoke joy and like a mall? It, it's it's like, no, it's a giant like like shopping center, food court kind of place. And yeah, and but not not a mall, but like an outdoor like yeah, kind yeah. of fancy pants place. And one of the places <laughs> was an ice cream place that had karaoke on Fridays. And nice. I said, I'm going to do this. Is for you, Sam. It's for you, man. <laughs> I completely made a fool of myself, which is pretty much every day. Well, I want to thank you so <laughs> so very much for sitting down and uh, speaking with us here at Priority One Podcast. Thank you for having us, as always. It's a pleasure talking with you guys. You guys are great. Thank you for all the work that you do. You're talented artists. And we look forward to future environments uh, exploring them. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Captains, we are here again in another interview with Cryptic Studios. And we're joined by... Programmers and producers for Star Trek Online. So without further ado, let's go round robin and introduce everyone to you. Hello, I'm Jared. I'm one of the producers. Hello, I'm Justin, one of the producers as well. Hello, I'm Travis, one of the software engineers. I'm Keith, a live game software lead. You are all leaders in your respective departments uh, and aspects of development for Star Trek Online. Why don't we kind of talk a little bit about what your roles are on a day-to-day basis uh, in producing the game. I, I mainly focus on scheduling and uh, coming up with release plans of when our products and uh, go out and our content goes out, um, which we plan you know, a year in advance, and then the schedules we kind of do in chunks of when our, when our seasons go out. 
And so I'm mostly focused on um, which team members are going to work on what tasks. I work with the leads of those departments to, to figure out who those people are. And then just make sure that we have enough time in our schedule to meet our release dates. That's probably that's my main task, but I also work with our marketing team and uh, also work with some build, uh, some build making, some build support, um, and things along those natures. Many other little things, but those are the big ones that I work <laughs> on. As, as Jared kind of does mainly like a lot of the big picture stuff, I, I sort of focus on the, the day-to-day working with uh, different team members and trying to prioritize tasks, looking at you know the schedules that he'll build out and sort of kind of bringing that knowledge down to all the different team members and you know seeing what they need or you know what what can I do to make them happy basically so as part of it is a happiness happiness coordinator I guess <laughs> aside from that I do uh, I've been working uh, a lot into the build making process so getting those out uh, on the weekly pushes that we do and uh, sort of monitoring the, the live uh, game health. What is build making? What, what do you mean by that? The designers and developers, they, they make their fixes, they make new changes, they add in new features. Uh, I basically put together all those, those fixes and code changes uh, into a package that basically outputs the game. When designers check in their work, we kind of decide, we pick and choose of what's going to go out and what we need. Um, and what what needs to go out like weeks from now or what needs to go out this week. Um, And that's what you actually see when when you're actually downloading one of our games, uh, one of the uh, downloading our game through the launcher. You'll see a string of numbers in .1, .2, .3, and those are um, incremental versions of the game. So each one of those is that we're picking and choosing what goes into that, that goes out every week. So this is what directly feeds into the patch notes that we Mm -hmm. see. Yes, yes, and whatever... Uh, what he puts into the build that goes out any particular week, the patch notes are a reflection of what he's actually put into that build. And who writes <laughs> the patch notes? Because they can be dry. Resolved an issue. Resolved and issue? And, and, and issue. issue. Uh, so, yeah, I have been <laughs> writing those dry patch notes uh, more recently uh, as I've, I've been taking over the build making response. I wrote the dry patch notes before that for yes. a long time. He <laughs> taught me how to do that. I taught talent. him how to do it in a very boring way. Can I, can I tell a funny story of a new tradition that you may or may not want to include in this podcast? Uh, so, uh, Justin tends to get me patch notes a little later than Jared did. Uh, and so, I have a tendency now to come up to his desk on a Wednesday night. Uh, slink up to him and just go, yeah, all got any of them patch notes? Yes. It's been happening once a week for about two months now. It's a welcoming <laughs> tradition. <laughs> I um, am Travis and I'm a software engineer and day to day I work on the UI. I build out the functionality of the UI. I fix crashes. I build uh, the features that are requested. Provide general support to the team like, you know, a designer or artist or Whoever can't figure out like why this thing is breaking, I go investigate why it's breaking, offer solutions, uh, help them work out a fix, like client crashes and uh, server crashes. So, uh, and I, I am sorry for putting you on the spot like this, but notoriously, the UI um, has been a resource-intensive uh, aspect of the game, right? Like I, I remember just recently somebody telling me, you know what, your your level tray disable that and you'll see a, a significant increase in boost in some of the performance of Star Trek Online, especially like, like on my laptop, right? My laptop's on a gaming laptop. Um, what can you say to that? You know, what, what, what is resource intensive for Star Trek Online that may slow a machine down and, and maybe perhaps a little, a few tips and tricks 
Well, you can always turn off anything in the UI you don't want or, or you're not really using. Uh, like a, As I build new features and new UI, I try to make the new things I build more optimized and uh, less resource intensive as much as I can within reason. The system was made over a very long time. Like Star Trek Alliance been alive for nine years and the system existed even before that. And so a lot of people have touched it over the years with varying levels of skill and knowledge on how to optimize it. So uh, especially some of the older UI, uh, there are definitely things that could use improvement. And so we're slowly going through and fixing up what we can um, as it comes up. What would you say is perhaps the most resource-intensive um, aspect of the game? I understand that it's a very database-heavy game with inventory and, and... Almost all of your client slowdown is due to graphics. Okay. So you, the better your card you have, the better your game will run. Right, so right. don't run on your cheap laptop. <laughs> this is not a cheap laptop. This is a Surface Book. It attaches. But doesn't have a dedicated graphic Actually, card. Actually, it does, it does, it does, it does. Uh, it's just not as great as my... It's not, my, it's not a desktop, right, you know? Yeah. Um, I use a laptop at home, actually. Yeah. But, it's a, but it has a, has a 1050 TI, you know... GTX Ti in it. Right, right. That's that's why I like a laptop to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and weighs fifty pounds. <laughs> no, it only weighs about ten. <laughs> we also expose a lot of graphics options that can be scaled back as necessary to uh, make your life better. We still want the widest range of systems possible. I mean, the standards have gone up because, as you know, as, as, since everybody, since at some point nobody used thirty-two bit anymore. That goes away, which helps everybody that still has the bigger machines because now you have more memory, you have more resources there. So, yes, the goal is still to have the widest range of people, but the better the system, it still runs better. Also, when I build UI elements, we, we try to make it at least usable on minimum spec, which is like 768p or something. What influences your decision to say, okay, this is going to go in or this is going to get fixed, right? Going in is obviously moving on and going into the future of the game and improving and then going back to fixing. We have tried to incorporate cleaning up older episodes um, and cleaning up older systems, mostly focusing on episodes and content. Um, last year we had a, a lot of work with our expansion for Victory's Life and so our main focus was building new stuff for much of that year. Um, and then after Victory's Life was done, it was on to Age of Discovery. In Age of Discovery we actually put in a decent amount of work on trying to clean up some of the older content. That's why we did the mission uh, reflow change. Um, we're slowly adding in VO where VO wasn't there. We're, we're um, Weston, our great animator, uh, who who's, who's, does a great job with cutscenes, is cleaning up cutscenes. And so it is a constant work um, trying to fix where we can. Um, this year, uh, we have more time in our schedule allotted to cleaning up some of this older content, and so we're trying to make a bigger push on that. And just that's part of what I'm doing since I, I focus on the scheduling, mm -hmm. is trying to find time to do that work. Yeah, like right now we're also uh, <laughs> going through character creation and, and, and streaming that, streamlining that some. So it's more, it'll be a, should be a better feel and process for new players coming in the game or people making odds. And our, our team is also very passionate about the game, so a lot of them so know some of the issues that you know, players are reporting, or they're players too, and they play the game and they see some of the issues, and when they have time, they just start fixing things. So that's another good thing about our team. What kind of feedback are you looking for to say we're going in the right direction and we're focusing on the right things? We have an analytics department, which helps us determine 
whether you know some areas is difficult for players and maybe they're dropping out more or or not. Basically, we have a we have a whole analytics department which helps us make these decisions by actual data coming in through the game. We're also in the forums too. We have our, our QA team that are uh, monitoring the forums daily. Uh, the community Mike is uh, is there reporting different things and feedback to us. Uh, when certain things go live like that. Also, some of the team pl actually play our own game, so we, we decide for ourselves if we're having fun or not with it and <laughs> right. make adjustments. And sometimes we put our own pet projects on the programming side, but because we know it's, if, we, if it's bothering us, yeah. it's probably bothering players, we change it, fix it, and now the players are happier. One of the examples of that would be a, uh, the fill-all button. Yes. That was not scheduled. I got tired of doing... Thank you. Thank you. You know what? I'm going to get up and shake your hand again later. Um, now, when are we going to be able to salvage reputation gear? When's that coming? That's, um, a, that's a design decision, actually. Oh, it's yeah. actually not a decision by us. Everything is possible in the game, but a lot right. of what you're talking about there is actual design decisions by the design team. Right, so you can right. talk to Al about that. Oh, I want, <laughs> I want that and I want my deltas, darn it. The, the same thing applies to what, what's upgradable and what's not, and, and uh, what can be re-rolled and what can't be. It's, it's all up to the designers. So if Blargany writes in, since you seem to be uh, introducing new ships as a fly-at-all-level scale and, all, and you know, as a player progresses... Can fleet gear, has it been thought that fleet gear be sold at a Mark Infinity so that they can equip new tunes with uh, those ships and those Infinity lockbox gear? I would expect as time goes along, more and more systems will be adapted for the new player, for the right. low-level players. Right. You know, it's going to be piece, it'll be, you know, done in pieces. It's not going to be all done at once. And as it's rolled out and it's successful, then more parts of it will be made available to everyone. How does discovery affect your scheduling and... Um, and production planning. When we started working on it for, for for the season that went out in October, our first our first launch, we we had a short window of time to incorporate all the discovery assets because we had to build a lot of them from scratch, um, and we got a lot of help from getting assets from uh, from CBS um, and also some story points that we were able to uh, work with. Right now, it's, it's sort of uh, we kind of we have a good idea of what we want to do going forward. We have a number of stories that I know Al has thought of. But yeah, it's it's since since we're kind of we kind of had all that practice in the fall getting that launch out. It's it's getting a little easier as we go along, and we kind of have a really good idea of what we want to do um, for for the foreseeable future. I'm looking forward to having a character creation go live, the new one for PC. It's uh, generally inspired by the console character creation, and will also likely back merge anything that we've improved upon to the console side uh, after it goes live. Are there things that you're adapting from console to bring over to PC and, and vice versa, I would assume, right? Feedback we re receive can determine, you know, oh, this system's working better on this one than, that, than the other one, then what can we bring it over yeah. and should we bring it over? Right. Yeah, like Keith had mentioned about our analytics team, we, the information we receive from them is why we're the character creators being changed for PC. So, and, um, and we're getting more and more information. Actually, over the last, I would say, three to four months, we started really getting a lot of great information from them, and we continue to get a lot more. So we're you know we're excited to look at that data to see what else we can do. Well, thank you so very much for spending your afternoon with us. Thank you for having us here at the at Cryptic Studios. And we hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thank All you. Right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. 
Captains, we are here at Cryptic Studios, and joining us this morning is the QA department, and we're going to go ahead and go round robin so that everybody can introduce themselves. Hey, uh, I'm Jeremy. Uh, I'm the QA lead. Uh, I'm Mackenzie, uh, QA analyst. Hi, I'm Alan, staff QA analyst. Hi, I'm Rose, and I am a test analyst. So thank you so very much for joining us this morning, um, you know, early on a Friday. Thank you so very much. Now, so I, I think I'd like to start by giving our listeners an understanding of what you all do. What is your role in developing Star Trek Online, um, and what's kind of the day in the life? Sure. So our role is to make sure that the end user gets the cleanest products uh, that they can get um, with the new features that we're developing. Uh, the process usually is, um, from the very beginning, we're involved in a lot of the early stages. We just did a white box um, walkthrough yesterday, which is, if you don't know what that is, is basically a super, super early version of a map. Um, and it, that allows us to kind of pinpoint areas that could be um, fatal in QA, that could cause issues down the road. Um, and then once that feature is uh, built, it comes to us, and what we do is we run it through um, a few various sweeps. Uh, we call them test plan sweeps. Um, They're checklists to make sure that it's functioning uh, as intended, uh, and then we do a lot of destructive testing, which is just trying to break the game, um, and uh, then uh, it goes out to the users, and they have all kind of fun, and it's super clean and awesome. So, you know, something happened in one of the last releases. I think I'm pretty sure it was on the sh- on one of the discovery ships where you had to deactivate you had to go into engineering. And then what was happening, there was a specific bug that was happening that it wouldn't register the the trigger, the fact that you had opened the door. Um, Al had explained, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, that it's that it's something like instancing or something of that nature that it triggers in some way. Yeah, I generally know what you're talking about when you say instancing. Um, that particular one is just the side effect of we don't have hundreds of people playing on a QA server, and what's some some of that what's happening is credit on other instances is applying to the uh, your instance. So in order for a QA to catch that, and we've been trying to get better at this as time goes on, is you have to be going through the same spots in two different instances of the same thing to make sure that one isn't taking credit for the other. Right, right, right. And, and as those things happen, what we do is we go back and we update our test plans. So it's kind of like a living document. So uh, if there's something that got by us, what we do is we make sure that that's implemented in our test plan so it won't get by us. So usually over time, you start kind of whittling those issues down uh, little by little. And for issues like that, I mean, we do actually run tests to try to catch that. We'll normally run it as a team, everybody at the same time, or people who are just maybe a couple of seconds ahead. And we tr- we try to catch those as best we can, but when you're out in the wild and you've got hundreds of people, it's a lot of variables that we kind of maybe we can't cover or we're, we just can't get to because we just don't have the sheer numbers to do that. Right, right, right. Well, a lot of times it's uh, just an edge case that is really hard to reproduce. But if you have, you know, a thousand people playing at once, you know, if one person gets it, that's what, 0.001%? Yeah. But there you go. With us, you know, there's like six of us total. And we're not all working on the same thing at the same time all the time. Right. So whenever we try to um, verify something like that, it's like, well, you know, we tried, we didn't get it, we don't, we're not saying that it doesn't happen, but, you know, we were unable to, to verify that. Um, 
and generally, you know, when we go live, we just pay attention to that sort of thing. Uh, we stay on the uh, Reddit and the forums and, and take a look and see if anybody's having any specific issue with any particular piece of content, and then we hop on it and, and take a look. A lot of times we do that on live as well, um, because then you can actually go in and see where people are actually getting stuck. And with issues like that as well, it's particularly hard because from the user's point of view, it's just that engineering objective didn't work. But the cause of that is something that the user can't actually see and observe, which means it doesn't get communicated back to us. Uh, and so it's a lot of detective work on our side to figure out, okay, well, engineering's failing for some people. We can't reproduce it just by going through it, so what's the possibilities of uh, what could be happening here? I have a quick question about uh, your process for testing. So um, how do you do everything manually, or is there some uh, an aspect of automation that's also going on in, at, at the same time? There is a little bit of automation, and mostly that involves uh, our automated build process, but most of our stuff is handmade, so we can't make scripts for it because everything's changing so quickly. Um, so generally we'll have the scripts for when we're uh, having a build made at the very end of the process, it's pushed up to our uh, patch server, and then um, our automated system goes through and it loads all the maps and makes sure that there's no critical errors, um, or I should say show-stopping errors. There's plenty of critical errors that it gets through. Um, but uh, that allows it, you know, in case there's anything that is uh, totally wrong with the database, we won't load up that build and try using it because it's already failed automatically. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like, you know, checking out engineering or whatever, that's not something that we could have uh, bots do or, or, you know, scripts do. We have to go in manually and look for that stuff. And what kind of timelines are you talking about? So we see a release on PC every Tuesday or Thursday, I can't remember. Um, how far ahead of that are you guys as the QA team actually getting your hands on software and, and testing it out um, before it goes up? Um, I think it depends on what we're releasing. So if it's a feature, it's it's probably um, right now we're testing something that's going out in mid, maybe late of this month, but we started testing, what, two, three weeks ago? Yeah. Um, uh, and we, we're... Uh, the, the thing we were white box testing isn't going out until I think the end of March. Yeah, maybe early. Um, yeah. So it's it, it's you know sometimes we will get things you know months in advance yeah. for us to kind of look at if if it's on. if it's a, just a normal PC update um, it's throughout that entire time. So like if if we know we're gonna release next week, it's they're gonna fix some stuff. We're gonna we're gonna test that specific stuff, and then we'll keep going until um, we, I think we released. Yesterday, yeah. or, uh, and, and we were testing up until Wednesday because those are things that can be fixed on the fly and just patched really quickly. Um, so we try to put as much time into it's it's kind of adjusting as you go, right? Yeah. Um, like Alan said, we only have six, so it's it's trying to uh, pick those priorities and make sure that um, you know we test the PC patch that goes out Thursday. We test um, all these features that are coming out in two weeks. Um, it's kind of a, a, a making sure that we plan correctly because that that's a big part of it. You brought up console, right? So Star Trek Online had not always been on console. How did that change the QA of all content going from PC to console? Is there a difference? Yeah, so there's a whole story which I'll get to in a bit because uh, I was involved in, in the whole aspect of it. Um, the good thing is for console, we need to have our builds finalized um, 
at least a week ahead of time for certification for Microsoft and Sony. Um, but we have the advantage of having gone through the PC iteration first. So any major bugs uh, usually get fixed on the PC side. For console, it's usually UI issues that, that uh, pop up. Um, and so that means that our console builds are usually a lot uh, smoother going in because you know it's, it's much harder for us to make a, an emergency fix for, for uh, one of those. But we plan on having um, our releases about once a month. If we think that something's not going to be ready, we can you know disable it for console. The, the game originally, so we had, uh, it was Marvel Universe Online, and then it became Champions Online. And it was supposed to be for Xbox, but the background for the technology uh, to do MMOs wasn't ready for Microsoft, basically the uh, Microsoft or Sony, they, they weren't ready. Yes, there was Final Fantasy, but that was sort of an outlier. They didn't know how to use our business model. And, and so it wasn't until many, many years later that we finally got Neverwinter on as an MMO on um, Xbox. Star Trek, it's like, we're never going to be in console, ever. Forget it. <laughs> we're not going to do any consoleization. We're not going to have any buttons. We're just going to have a keyboard. All our UI is going to be different, whatever we want. And so that came back to, to bite us in the rear because when we were like, hey, let's, let's port this to console, I'm like, oh, this is why we should have you know, maintained the, the console controls. That's why you uh, say never say never. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Never so it, say never. Um, the turnaround for getting it onto console was really short. It was less than a year. Um, and it was pretty much um, making sure that all of the UI um, on the PC version as much as possible worked on um, the console and for the stuff that didn't we disabled then some of the things we had to change a little bit it's a lot harder to play on the console than it is on the PC you, you just have less control which is why we have the automated uh, powers firing off because you know it's just way too hard with your radial menu trying to uh, fire off every power but, uh, we don't have that on the PC although you know a lot of people are like, why don't we? You know, it's, that's a really useful feature. But also on the console version, there's a, a little boost. There's a special secret power that makes it easier for console players because it's it's so much harder. That is why I like playing on console so much better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what boost? Hold on a second. Wait, wait what? what? Like a special power? What? Yeah, yeah. What? Oh. Special power. <laughs> it, it's just, you know, it's uh, sort of like a secret... Um, level adjustment. Right. It's not that, but it's sort of along the same lines. That you're, you're a little bit more powerful compared to the AI enemies. In terms of PvP, it's the same. Right. Um, but uh, we were finding that uh, people who weren't as used to Twitch games were having a whole lot of hard time trying to uh, play the game. And, uh, you know, the few of us who do play, you know, on all sorts of controls we're like well this is fine with me but you know we don't want to make a hardcore game uh, for you know a couple people in QA I actually joined cryptic for the Star Trek online console push um, originally I had spent about five years at PlayStation prior to that um, and then I moved over here um, to help get console up and off the ground and you know it 
I had a lot of experience with PlayStation hardware and their testing tools and, and things like that. So I was able to come in and kind of be like, okay, well, this is kind of how this works. And I had firsthand experience um, dealing with uh, trying to get games through PlayStation certification process. So I had a lot of inside knowledge on how that worked, what to look for. Um, maybe the wasn't quite on the team at that time. You know, we, they have documents to read, but um, I had the first-hand kind of experience and knowledge and sort of brought that with me. When you guys released a console, you're actually doing it at the same time, generally speaking. What's the difference between um, what you deploy out to PlayStation versus the Xbox? And, and do you have a preference which it's, one's better? It's almost identical. Part of that is, is for simplicity. Um, we don't want to make things more complicated for ourselves. So the builds that go out for uh, PlayStation and Xbox are almost always like 999,000% uh, the same. Right. Every now and then they'll be like, hey, there's this one crash on PlayStation that we, we're not having on Xbox or something like that, and, yeah. and we'll need a, a small fix that we'll put in. Even then, um, we'll keep the version numbers the same. Both uh, Microsoft and Sony have requirements for their packages uh, for the uh, the games that go out, and they're they're different, but the core content of the game is is the same for uh, both uh, platforms. You guys mentioned that uh, it's a team of six. You work strictly with Star Trek Online, or are you also split across Neverwinter and? So we're solely Star. Star Trek. Um, Alan does a few things for Champions. Um, if there's a project that needs help, um, we are more than open to help and you know, do that. But we're, our main priority is Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. The Champions team is much, much, much smaller than Star Trek. It's basically, you know, a couple people. Okay. Um, and so what I do basically is just to make sure that when we have some uh, new technology coming in, usually as a uh, requirement for the studio in general. I just make sure that it integrates with it. I don't do a whole lot of in-game testing. I don't need to, actually. It's pretty much running itself. Right, right. So, uh, from Reddit, uh, I believe it's Jess Bun one There's some numbers in there. Um, <laughs> why is old event information still displayed on the PS4 start menu? Sometimes when it's updated, it displays events that have just expired or are about to. Uh, yeah, I think that's actually a me question. Uh, <laughs> hi, folks. Uh, it's Mike Fatum, community manager here, who didn't realize he'd be answering a question in this interview, so I'll try and talk loudly. Uh, I handle that stuff. It's scheduled automatically, but there's no way to schedule it automatically to, to go down. I can only schedule it automatically to go up. Uh, and so it's, it, it auto-replaces sometimes and sometimes doesn't. Um, and so I, I have to go in there and manually remove those news items, which I do usually on Mondays, uh, but sometimes things get missed. So we have, we have a question here that says, uh, do you have any memorable things that you discovered while testing, you know, like a character floating in ways that they shouldn't, you know, naked characters, somebody saying something crazy? Um, but before you answer that, I, I, I want to ask, when you are QA testing, do you, do you all keep accessibility in mind? So, for instance, players who have accessibility challenges, who maybe need, you know, uh, mobility assistance, uh, IO impulse, like how, how does that affect QA testing? There's a lot of things that we can look at. Um, we don't look at everything 100% all the time because it, it becomes too much. Right. Well, we do several passes 
for different things. Usually, we start off with a functionality pass. Mm -hmm. Is it working? You know, and then um, once we make sure that everything's working, then we get to do a little ad hoc testing where we can uh, sort of see where we could break things or where there might be uh, failures between systems or, or you know, between objects. Um, I personally actually do look at uh, things like uh, color for uh, color blindness and, and whatnot. Because, um, a lot of people don't realize it, but when you have uh, like pastel colors, it's usually really hard for folks who are colorblind. So, um, you know, I, I will get feedback to the UI folks. You know, hey, maybe change the color range a little bit. Um, fortunately, uh, the PC version allows a lot of uh, customization. Uh, console version, not so much, but uh, the console version is pretty, pretty brightly colored, so it's it's easier to uh, distinguish uh, the different things in there. Um, I I I actually have dyslexia. One of the things I I will you know send feedback on is staring at walls of text. Right. Um, just because it gets really hard for me to kind of parse a very large wall of text. Right, right. Um, and trying to get people to cut that down a bit more, um, be a bit more precise with their words when explaining things. Mm -hmm. um, so that way people like me don't look at that and then just go, I, I can't read that or I have to turn this off now because now all these words are just blending because there was just so much thrown at me. So yeah, it's you know definitely I think it's something you know especially from my end that I think about just because of my own floating characters, people, <laughs> ships, ships in walls. So <laughs> I, I I know which one you're probably going to bring yeah. up. But, so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Tilly and Tilly floating out in space before it went out. Um, the ballad of two hundred Tillys. Yeah. Uh, so we when we were doing uh, when we had the Zenkethi uh, escort ship. Um, there was one point where uh, we had a version that was checked in for a ground map because it needed to be up on this ground map and it was really big. Um, the ship costume for players to fly was using that costume, so it was massive. It was probably bigger than our space dock. Oh. And <laughs> so you get on the map and it was just massive. And so I actually had that on one of on one of my characters, and I had named it the USS Fear Me Losers. Right. <laughs> around, it was so large. <laughs> um, I mean, some of the other stuff you see, like uh, there was times on some maps where um, they had door like doorways didn't have the doors in them on the spaceship, so you'd walk up and it would just the emptiness of space just before you <laughs> before you fall, and yeah. then you could walk out into it, and you would just fall, and you'd have to place yourself back up on the ship. But it was uh, those moments are always really funny. Or um, I, I think during the discovery tutorial, there wasn't a floor on the bridge. The collision was there; you could walk out, right. but it wasn't there. Um, there was a time where I think once we didn't have the collision, and so you had to move over by the captain's seat because it was the only spot right. you could but everything else was just you're going to fall into the vacuum of space now <laughs> when when that kind of stuff happens do you like do you know who it is you know like hey so and so you forgot to add a floor what is this about <laughs> like is it that kind of or is it like is it in a transfer from server or shard to shard you know like somebody's from that from somebody's desk to your desk something breaks or is it like, why did you forget to put a floor? Come on. Uh, a lot of the times in the you forgot a floor scenario, it's um, 
it's a lot of times I think sometimes it's the builders and sometimes it's one person does something the uh, one team does something the other team doesn't catch up with what they're doing by the time you get the build yes I'm asking you to throw people under the bus that's what I'm asking, <laughs> exactly what I'm asking right now. I'm telling you not there, there's, there's many times like environment will change uh, will change a map and they'll change you know how the pathway looks and stuff like that content doesn't get the memo in time by the time we get the build so then Critters will just start spawning under the ground, or your spawn point ends up in the ground, or in the side of a corridor, uh, things like that. Or somebody will have something checked out and didn't remember to check it back in, and so the doors are missing, you know, which, it's not just the door, but it's the area around it, so we kept having this problem with the origin bridge, where that, that one piece kept getting lost because someone, like, checked it out and forgot about it, and they kept checking it in that way automatically so we had like about four or five times where there was a big gaping hole in the bridge like come on guys Uh, but I mean uh, also like Mac was talking about you know uh, maybe somebody doesn't get a chance to put something in on time Um, so if somebody's here working really late and they check in something late it may not make our build you know by the time so if they if they they put check it into the build past a certain time it's too late because we're the build is already being made so we won't see it till the day after and so sometimes it's just like oh hey this thing is missing and they're like oh well you'll it'll be on tomorrow's build because it's missing this this right. particular check-in and, and very rarely i think and i correct me if i'm wrong but my one of my favorite stories i think came from um the the process of actually making a build screwing up where one of the tutorial maps, one of the ground tutorial maps inside the ship somehow got switched from ground to space. Okay. So you were flying around corridors inside a ship in a ship. Right. Okay, whoops. You know what, though? I'm pretty sure that there are some players who would really yeah. want to do it. Is I mean, that I like Nemesis? No, it's a Voyager. Isn't that a Voyager episode? Uh, it, no, it's a Deep Space Nine episode. What, flying around in corridors? Yeah, they, they, get, they yeah. get miniaturized. They right. have to fly around in there. Nice. I'm sure people would love it. Now, I actually, because we've touched on a, a couple of, like, odd bugs that have come up when you're testing. And um, obviously, bugs uh, to the larger Star Trek Online community are a real focus of, like, why hasn't my bug been fixed? Um, can you give us some context about, like, when we talk about bugs, how many bugs are there in the system? You don't have to commit to a number. But when... when no, because... Um, and then, you know, how do you prioritize? How do you, how do you select? These are the ones that are absolutely critical to do. These are the ones we're trying to get to next. Um, and, and how do you divide your time on fixing those? So our, our game is almost 10 years old. And it's, what, 16 gigs right now? Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong, um, including stuff that was working fine, you know, just yesterday, and then today, you know, it's not working all of a sudden. There's there's the things that, that are new that are uh, that are broken, and then there's the things that we haven't caught yet, or there are the things that we know about, but they're super low priority in terms of for us, because it's like, yeah, we could invest... Uh, you know, several man hours to go track this down, but it's only affecting one particular person. Okay, you know, maybe we'll we'll schedule some time for that. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's not going to be our, our priority if uh, you know we need to get a release out. Uh, you know, unfortunately for that one person, but you know, uh, everybody else is like, 
I don't want you to spend time doing that. I want you to spend time fixing my particular bug. And we don't fix bugs. We, you know, we just point them out. Yeah. So it's not up to us to get them fixed. It's just up to us to uh, let everyone know that they're there, they've been fixed, they haven't been fixed, or uh, here's something bad that might happen that we haven't encountered yet. And part of it's being part of a, a live game. We have no end point. There's no release date on which we're, we're done and we could just fix, we could just start putting in bugs and getting them fixed. We're, we always have new content coming up, so it's always a balance of uh, trying to fix old, high-priority issues and looking at new content. And, and the other thing to factor in, too, um, is the risk of fixing a particular bug. And so you you look at the severity of it and is it risky? Um, sometimes when, especially when you're working with a game as old as this, where a lot of the stuff has been in place for nine years now, a lot of the systems, um, if you try to fix one thing, it might affect something else and cause it to break elsewhere. And so there's a lot of you know people looking at bugs going, okay, well, I could fix this, but maybe it affects all of these things. And the thought process, you have to break it down and go, do we have time once this thing is fixed to go and make sure that it didn't break these things? Right. And you know sometimes it's sometimes it's too risky, given like the severity of it. You know maybe it's something that it's it's annoying, but it's not game breaking. Right. Um, and if it's not game breaking and just slightly annoying, but has the potential to, if you fix it, to cause major issues in other systems, it becomes well that's probably going to stay in place until there's time that we have dedicated to where you could fix that and then test these other systems and make sure they don't fail. But game-breaking is also subjective. <laughs> what is what is game-breaking to one person is not game-breaking for another. Uh, whatever you're talking about, uh, costumes, or, you know, I can't wear this costume on my Romulan uh, captain. It's like, well, sorry. I think that, that Tilly chair uh, example, we had, a, we had oh, yeah. an issue right before we were trying to go live. Um, Kelly turns around in a cutscene and her chair isn't there. Uh, and we bugged it a few weeks before. Before and it, it was low priority. Um, it's a chair missing from a cutscene. That will get to it. It'll be fine. Well, you know, it, it, time goes on and, and we get sidetracked with higher priority things. And it was a Friday, and we were trying to push Tuesday, Tuesday. with a Monday holiday. <laughs> so we look at the cutscene, and it's still not there. And you know, the fire starts right, and it's trying to put out that fire and figure it out. Uh, but as for like priorities go, it's you know we have a lot of data that we look at, um, which is extremely important. We're, we're able to tell uh, kind of what error uh, you know affects how many people, uh, and then we can kind of prioritize it like that. Um, we are all I think all are pretty active on Reddit and the forums and stuff, and Twitter. Um, so we we try to it's 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 kind of a balancing act, right? It's balancing between how, how you know how bad is this, how many things, uh, how many people is this affecting and how fast can we get a fix in for it. What's the best way for players to report bugs other than the actual in-game bug system? Because I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I feel like that goes into an ether. Yeah. Like it doesn't go to you guys, like it goes to somebody else who then has to filter the email to you yeah. all. Uh, be nice, I think of is course. the number one <laughs> rule for me. Um, so with this, there's a lot of places that people go to. Um, I prefer Reddit. Um, it's just easier to get everything in that area. Um, 
But any of the forms, we're, we are constantly looking. Um, don't think that we're just not. Um, I know Christian is very deep in the community, and he responds back pretty regularly. He is kind of our, our you know, community bug guy where he'll go in and he'll look at, if he has time, he'll look at the bugs that are being reported and he'll investigate, enter it, and try to get some traction. Um, but I think it's understanding that there's it's very rarely going to be an overnight fix. Right. Very, very rarely. So when you're reporting a bug, just um, be, be nice and just include as much information as you can. How did you get to that area? Um, what's specifically happening? Uh, what you expect to happen? Um, that will allow us to, if we have to go back and ask a bunch of questions, then we lose time, unfortunately. And, and time is very valuable here as a QA department. So, Yeah, the, the main uh, official STO forums have the bug recording forums. Um, and I've pointed out on stream numerous times that we do look at those. You know, we go through those, we read those. Um, and we try to like we, we you know take all of those seriously, and you know we try to investigate those things, get them into developers um, as fast as we can, and hope to get those fixed. You know, given you know bug priorities and and things like that. Like was already stated, give as much information as you can on the bug. If if you just tell me a thing is broken, it's really hard for me to figure out how and why it's broken. Right. And so if if you give me a bunch of information, it's much easier for me to kind of figure it out, track it down. Um, and also, if you know my Twitter handle for my game dev, please don't tweet bugs at me. It, it'll, it will, those will get lost to the ether because if I'm not at home, if I'm not at work, if I'm at home, or if it's a weekend, I, it's pro I'm probably going to forget it. It's going to get lost. Twitter, Twitter <laughs> is the worst place to send bugs to, especially when you send direct tweets to Al. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, you, you talk about the forums and, and Reddit. Um, those seem like very... You know, I made I made the 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 little joke earlier about the in-game form, right? Does that is it the same thing? It goes to you. Do you guys see that, or does it first kind of get filtered into somebody at Perfect World and then come to you? So it could be a while before before you see anything. And also the infamous game master, like help, I'm stuck. Is is that you guys? Is that somebody from your team? No, that's customer service. Okay. Um, for. The bugs, we, we look for the bugs. We look in the forums and on Reddit and, and all that, but we generally don't respond because it takes a lot of time to do that. So we take a look, see what the problems are. Um, you know, there's the um, uh, Reddit uh, chat that we're, you know, part of and, you know, keep an eye on. Um, but uh, in, in general, um, bugs that are reported through those um, uh, channels, we, we find out about them. We, we know about them. And we do get bugs from Perfect World as well. Um, but it doesn't take long. Um, right. they, they, they shoot it to us pretty quickly. Um, if they get reports consistently of the same bug, then we, we know something's wrong. Um, so what they'll do is they'll send us um, probably like three or four you know, texts of, of people explaining the same issue. Um, and then that allows us to kind of organize and go from there. Okay. And a lot of times the, the customer service can directly help out if this is a, a known issue that is going on. They can in, usually get the, the word out faster or help individual cases a lot faster than what uh, our six-man QA team can right. do. Thank you all for, for spending your morning with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for giving us an insight on what mm -hmm. it takes to make sure that the content that players get is in tip-top shape. I know that uh, you know si si 
six people seems like a small amount for such a massive game. So, you know, you all have uh, a significant amount of responsibility, and so thank you for your work. It's it's great uh, talking with you all, and we look forward to all the content that uh, you guys screen before it reaches ours. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Well, that wraps up episode 402 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Before we go, we have to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters, Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David K. Rutley, and Peter Archibald. And it's been a couple of weeks since our last community question... So here's one for this week. What was your favorite part of our 400th episode celebrations? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse? Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada goes live as they review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlighting some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. And if you'd like to join the Armada, just visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. We'd like to take a moment to thank Cryptic Studios, for hosting us as we celebrated our 400th episode with them, along with some of the supporters of our show that helped make our marathon a great success, like Roddenberry Entertainment, Gameprint, and again, Cryptic Studios. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Skiffy, and Winters. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, 
None of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su no. Engage. Hello, captains. Your why? Why did I say it like they were about to listen to a meditation, <laughs> like a meditation thing? Hello, welcome to Priority One Podcast. Now we're going to drink some, drink some bourbon. I don't know about you guys, but I really love Star Trek. <laughs> All right, so. that went far enough. I'm pretty sure that went too far. <laughs> Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Kenna. My mouth is open. My mouth is open. (laughs) I was just I was just taking a breath to deliver that last this last part. I'll be sure to send you an unsolicited ship pick. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.